moms and dads, guess what? This episode is kid-friendly for creepsers like me. When you're alive, life can be fun. Go to the forest where the shadows do run. They're coming soon. They can hear you. And we are Paranormal Chicks. And this is a kid-friendly episode as part of our 31 Nights of Halloween. So sit back with your favorite creepsters and prepare to be spooked. For this episode, we're reading out of the book Out to Get You, 13 Tales of Weirdness and Woe by Josh Allen and illustrated by Sarah J. Coleman. This story is called The Stain on the Cafeteria Floor. You're such a klutz, Janet! said Malia as the dime she had been holding clattered to the tile floor. She'd been feeding them into the soda machine in the cafeteria, hoping to buy a Dr. Bub to go with her lunch. But Janet had just crashed into her hard for what must have been the millionth time that year and sent the dimes scattering. Sorry! Janet dropped to the floor and chased after the dimes that were scrambling away like escaped lab rats. Malia sighed. It wasn't easy having a klutz for a best friend. Just this week, there had been crashes into lockers, stumbling over garbage cans, and even wild trips on sidewalk cracks. One dime arced into a corner near the vending machine, and Malia went after it. She tried to stomp on it to stop its rolling, but she missed, and the dime headed toward a moldy-looking stain she had never noticed before. Ew, Malia thought. That stain was black with green speckles, like mildew, and it was in the shape and size of a peanut, with two bulgy ends. The idea of the dime, her dime, touching that stain made her stomach lurch. But the coin was too far away and moving too fast. It rolled right into the stain. And then something happened that made Malia gasp. The dime vanished. Like popping a bubble. One second the dime was there, spinning on the cafeteria tile, and the next second it touched the stain and poof, it was gone. Malia shivered. Whoa, did you see that? She moved closer to the stain. See what? Janet gathered the last few scattered coins, stood up, tripped on her untied shoelaces, and dropped all the dimes a second time. Malia shook her head. One of the dimes, she said. It just, like, disappeared when it touched that, she pointed. Are you sure, Janet said. Did it maybe roll under the machine? She crouched and peered under the vending machine. No, Malia said. It rolled onto that, she pointed again. Janet scrunched her face. Gross. Malia took a step towards the stain, but Janet grabbed her by the elbow. Don't go near it, she said. It's nasty. Give me a dime, Malia said. Janet picked one up and passed it. 
Slowly, Malia moved over to the corner. She knelt and held the dime just a few inches over the stain. Okay, she said. Watch. Malia let go of the dime. It hit the stain, and it should have plinked on the floor and spun to a stop. But it didn't. It didn't clink or ping at all. Instead, it fell into the moldy stain, like it had been dropped into a hole. Malia peered at the stain. In its very center, the dime spun and grew smaller, going down, down, down. No way, Malia said. She listened for a plink, but heard nothing. Did you see that? Janet didn't answer. That must be what happened to the other dime, Malia said, excitement rising in her voice. It fell into this thing. Janet backed away from the corner. She bumped into the vending machine and stumbled. It's just a hole in the floor, she said, but her voice quivered. No, Malia peered closer. It's not a hole. It's something else, like a puddle. If you look closely, you can see the tile floor beneath it. See? That doesn't make any sense. Janet shook her head. If we can see the floor underneath, then how can the dime fall through? I don't know. Malia reached out a finger. No, Janet said. Don't touch it. Malia stopped. We don't know what it is. Janet backed away even further, taking tiny, awkward steps. Malia looked side to side. The other kids in the cafeteria were doing the usual things, eating, talking, paying them no attention. Fine, Malia said. I won't touch it. Still kneeling, she pulled a stick of gum from her pocket. She dangled it by one end. Its foil wrapper glistened. She lowered the gum slowly, and when it touched the stain, it hissed and fizzled like a can of soda opening. Malia startled and dropped the gum. Just like the dime, the stick of gum fell somehow past the floor, or through the floor, and just like the dime, the gum twisted, grew smaller, and disappeared. It's like a portal, said Malia. Can we please just get away from it? Janet said from behind her. I don't like it, Malia. Can can we just get away? Malia turned. Janet's hands were white. Malia pursed her lips. She wanted to stay by the stain. She wanted to poke it again to drop something else, a balled up piece of paper or a french fry. Maybe she could even lower something into the stain on a string and pull it back out. But there was Janet. Her face had gone the color of an old notebook paper. Yeah, Malia said, standing up slowly. She gathered the rest of her dumps. You're probably right. She put her hand on Janet's shoulder as they walked back to their table and nudged her to the left to keep her from walking in to Adrian Wiggum and his tray of spaghetti. You're right, Malia said again when they sat down. We should leave it alone. But as she ate her turkey sandwich, she glanced again and again to the corner by the vending machine. The next day, when lunch started, Malia said, I'll meet you at the table, and left Janet in the cafeteria line. She headed straight to the stain. At the soda machine, she brought her hand to her mouth. No way, she whispered. She couldn't believe it. The stain wasn't the size of a peanut anymore. It was bigger now, much bigger, as big as Malia's head. She dropped to the floor and crawled close. Not only had the stain changed in size, but it changed in shape, too. It had jagged spikes coming out from all sides. Malia, 
Janet's voice hissed from behind her. Get away from that thing. Malia turned. Janet was holding a lunch tray. Her lips were pressed tight. You said you would leave it alone, she said. But it's changed, Malia pointed. Janet looked. She didn't move closer. She shook her head slowly. That makes it worse, she said. It has spiky things, Malia pointed again. Janet shifted her lunch tray. Her eyes widened. And those spikes, they look kind of like teeth or fangs. You don't think this is... Janet trailed off. A mouth, Malia finished. It's not a hole or a portal. It's a mouth. Janet turned and started to walk away, but Malia jumped up and grabbed her arm. If this is a mouth, Malia said, turning Janet back, that means this thing is alive. Janet didn't speak. And the dimes and the stick of gum from yesterday, Malia went on, they didn't fall into a hole. They got eaten. She couldn't believe it. The stain on the cafeteria floor was alive. It was amazing. Not just amazing, Malia realized. It was impossible. We need to tell someone, Janet finally said. No, said Malia. She liked that the spot just sat 30 feet away from dozens of sixth graders, and somehow only she and Janet had found it. It was a secret discovery, their secret discovery, and it could stay that way. Besides, the stain had grown. It had actually grown. It could eat and change, and maybe it could even breathe and move and feel. But how could she explain this to Janet? We can't tell anyone, Malia said. If we tell, they'll get rid of it. Janet's eyes widened. That's what we want, she said. It needs to go. No, it doesn't, Malia said. Janet's body seemed to go slightly limp. Her lunch tray drooped. Her milk carton slid off and laid it on the floor with a thwack. Malia pursed her lips and thought she'd have to convince Janet to stay quiet. But Janet kept looking at the stain and sagging. Whatever this thing is, Malia said in a low whisper, it's ours, Janet. It belongs to us. It's not ours. It's, it's, it is ours, Malia said. And quickly, it's ours because... She thought very hard. It took her a few seconds, but she found what she wanted to say. It's ours because we found it and we fed it. She nodded and moved close to Janet, close enough to smell the cafeteria meatloaf on her lunch tray. We fed it two dimes and a stick of gum, and it grew, and that's because of us. Janet didn't say anything. Malia pointed at the stain. This thing is ours, Janet, she said. We can't have it removed or wiped out. We have to take care of it. But we don't know anything about it, Janet whispered. We don't know what it is. We don't know where it came from. We don't even know if it's safe. If that thing really is a mouth, then where is the rest of it, Malia? Where? That was a good point. Where was the rest of the stain? The rest of its body? And where had the dimes and the stick of gum gone? A hint of worry, like a slow-rising moon, crept up in Malia's chest. But she swallowed it down. That doesn't matter, Malia said. It's safe. I can prove it. Malia reached into her lunch bag and pulled out her turkey sandwich. She knelt, holding her sandwich out. After a second, she let go. The sandwich hit the stain with a hiss. Then it tumbled down, down, down. Malia waited, but nothing happened. See, she said, 
no problem. Without answering and without even picking up her dropped milk, Janet walked away. Malia grabbed the milk and followed, barely noticing when Janet bumped into Reggie Perkins on her way to the lunch table. Whoa, Malia thought when she saw the stain the next day. That thing must have loved my turkey sandwich. Because it was no longer the size of Malia's head. It had grown to the size of a small table, filling the cafeteria corner. Its spikes had become jagged and sharp. Twenty feet from the stain, Malia put a hand on Janet's shoulder. The other kids had begun to notice the spot, too. What's that? Malia heard Reggie Perkins say. Totally weird, said Marissa Clyde. I'm not going anywhere near that thing, said Adrian Wiggum. And the other kids in the gathering crowd must have agreed because they were standing far back. Malia pushed past them and walked closer. I'm getting a teacher, Janet said. But before Malia answered, Janet turned and ran, her feet making hard slaps on the towel floor. Janet, no, Malia called. But it was no use. Janet was off, bumping into kids like a pinball in a chute, her clumsy arms flailing. Malia moved closer to the stain. It wasn't, she realized, a stain anymore. Now it was more of a thing. A giant, spiky thing. Gross, said Michaela Wood back with the gawking kids. Malia hunched down. She could feel the other kids watching her, wondering. Sure, this thing, whatever it was, looked strange. But what had it done wrong? Eaten a few dimes, a stick of gum, a turkey sandwich? Should they really punish it for that? Get rid of it? Still, Malia knew that since other kids had now discovered it, there was nothing she could do. Soon, Janet would return with Principal Khan or Janitor Jake or somebody, and that would be that. They'd call important people, men in black suits and women in pencil skirts, probably, and they'd close the school and find some way to kill it. Yes, Malia realized that was what they'd do to the thing. They'd kill it. I'm sorry, Malia said to it. It was the first time she had spoken to the thing. I think something bad is about to happen. The kids behind her fell quiet. She scooted closer to the thing, right to its edge, and she leaned forward. She peered deep into it, wondering whether the sandwich, the stick of gum, and the dimes were still there somewhere, falling down, down, down. It's over here, Janet cried behind her. It's been growing, and it's got teeth, and Malia's been feeding it. It's getting bigger every day. Slow down, someone called, and Malia thought she recognized the voice of Mr. Perez, the biology teacher. Then she felt something familiar. A hard bump, a crash against her back, her eternally klutzy best friend banging into her like she had a million times that year, hunching her over the spiky mouth. Malia started to tip forward. She reached back for help, but next to her, Janet stumbled and wobbled at the thing's edge. Both girls waved their arms in tiny circles. Malia tried to right herself to get her balance, but it was no use. She fell. Next to her, so did Janet. And they went down, down, down. This story is called When Dante Vanished, They Said He Moved to Ohio. Dante Coleman saw the devil on his walk to school one October morning. The father of all evil was standing there, 
half a block up the road, red-skinned and surprisingly thin. He was leaning against the street sign at the corner of Gilbert Drive and Chestnut Way, just hanging out, holding his flame-tipped pitchfork. No way, Dante thought, a thrill rising in his chest. The actual devil. Dante had seen a lot of movies about the devil. His favorite was Send It to the Underworld, but he also liked The Devil and Marty McDuffin and If Heaven Can't Have You. But this was something else. The Devil in Flesh and Blood. Awesome, Dante thought. He smoothed his black t-shirt. He took a few steps closer. Ollie Finker and Jess Whitcomb, the kids he sat with at lunch, were going to freak out when they heard. What if Dante could talk to the actual devil? Could chat just a few minutes with the great and terrible beast himself? That'd drive Ollie and Jess nuts. He could almost see the looks on their faces when he told them about how he'd ask the devil if hell really smelled like rotten eggs. And how many people were exactly burning in it right then? Simply thinking about it made Dante's heart beat a little harder. But up ahead, something about the living, breathing devil wasn't quite right. At the street sign, the devil cocked his horn head and sighed heavily. He scuffled his forked hooves lazily at the sidewalk, pushing around fallen October leaves. He dangled his pitchfork loosely in one hand. Dante walked closer, and the devil picked at his fingernails. Only they weren't fingernails, Dante realized. They were more like claws or talons. I'm going to do it, Dante told himself. I'm going to march right up to the devil and have a chat. He took a few hurried steps. Other kids, he knew, would have acted differently if they'd seen the devil. They would have lost it or run away, or cried. But Dante wasn't other kids, he told himself. He was Dante Coleman. He'd known all the words to the heavy metal song Dark Eyes of the Devil since he was nine. And now the King of Flames himself stood before him bathed in foggy morning light. Dante picked up his pace. Still, despite all the movies Dante had seen and all the screaming music he had listened to, something about the real devil... His sighing, his leaning, his hoof shuffling seemed out of place. Wrong, even. Sure, the devil had massive coiling horns and a flaming pitchfork and leathery red skin, just like Dante had hoped. But instead of looking menacing or horrific or more ominous than death itself, the devil looked, well, tired and a bit distracted and bored. Yes, Dante realized. The devil looked very, very bored. Up ahead, the devil shifted his weight from one hoof to the other, and Dante slapped his combat boots hard on the sidewalk as he walked, hoping to get the devil's attention. The demon of the bottomless pit didn't even look up. He just stayed there, dangling his pitchfork loosely at his side and lazily picking at his claws, though they might have been pinchers or hooks. As he walked closer, Dante cleared his throat deep and rough. Nothing happened. It was like Dante didn't even exist. Like Satan didn't care at all about this lone sixth grader swaggering up to him. Dante's cheeks grew hot. 
After all the pitchfork drawings he'd made in his notebook margins, he thought he deserved at least a little respect from the commander of all beasts. But the devil must have disagreed, because he was still scuffing his hooves on the sidewalk, pushing fallen leaves this way and that. Dante threw back his shoulders. He counted the sidewalk lines between him and the creature of the deep. Six. Five. Four. When he was two sidewalk squares away, he spoke. Good morning, Mr. Lucifer, sir, he said. Dante had never called anyone sir before, but the devil, he figured, would like it. The devil didn't answer. He twirled his pitchfork slowly and chewed lightly on his, whatever those things were on the ends of his hands. Good morning, Mr. Lucifer, sir. Dante tried again, louder. Finally, the devil shifted. His eyes shone black with no whites in them, and they glistened like wet tar. Dante couldn't be sure, but it seemed like the devil kind of rolled them. Whatever, kid, the devil said. Dante flexed his shoulders beneath his black t-shirt. Everything was wrong. Totally wrong. Dante expected the devil to chant a curse in an ancient language like Latin or Sanskrit, or to at least let loose an earthquake-inducing roar. Where, Dante wondered, was the satanic rage, the terror of ultimate evil, the awesomeness? Even the devil's voice, which Dante had thought would be full of raspy, deep growls that echoed with the doom of eternities, seemed wrong. He'd thought the devil's voice would shake the ground and set car alarms blaring, but his voice was soft and high-pitched, not rough and demonic, and it was subtly accented, like the devil was from Vermont or Massachusetts or somewhere in New England. The ruler of all demons shooed Dante along with his pitchfork and sneered. It was a sneer that said, run along, kid, you're bothering me. But running along was the last thing on Dante's mind. This was his chance, his one chance, to meet the devil. Besides, he'd seen something in the devil's sneer that had finally made sense, something that made goosebumps rise on his arms. The devil's teeth. They were made of fire. Each tooth was a tiny pointed flame, about the size of a candle flame, and in all the movies Dante had ever watched, he'd never seen anything like those teeth. Flaming teeth, Dante thought. Now that's what I'm talking about. The hair on his neck prickled. I have questions for you, O speaker of darkness, sir, Dante said. The devil closed his eyes and breathed out a long, hissing sigh. You've got to be kidding me, he said. He let his dangling pitchfork swing loosely in his hand. Its flaming tips scraped the sidewalk and made dark scorch marks on the concrete that hissed and smoked. Dante leaned in as the scorch marks sizzled and died. That's more like it, he said quietly. Above him, the devil shook his head, and one of his coiled horns clinked against the street sign's metal pole. Dante pointed at the sidewalk. I behold your awesomeness, sir. Oh, stop it, the devil said. Stop it with all the awesome and the sir stuff, kid. But, Dante said, and he didn't know how to continue. This was not going the way he had hoped. Look, kid, 
the devil said without looking at Dante directly. Believe it or not, I haven't made the trip all the way from hell today just to come visit some pesky kid. I'm a pretty busy guy with an important job, okay? Can you understand that? His voice rose and his flaming teeth seemed to grow and stretch higher. He waggled his pitchfork in front of Dante's face. I got a big day ahead and all I want out of the next five minutes is a break. All right, so it's time for you to head to school and leave me in peace. With that, the devil stomped one hoof and the school bell in the distance rang. Dante was sure there were at least 10 minutes left before school started, but there was the bell ringing out over houses and trees. You made the school bell ring, Dante exclaimed, realizing he'd witnessed a moment of the devil's power. That was... And he was going to say awesome, but he stopped himself. It means you're late, the devil said. So... The devil pointed his pitchfork at the brown school building down the street. But Dante wasn't ready to leave. Not yet. Not until more things started going like they were supposed to, like the flaming teeth and the early ringing bell. So Dante folded his arms and planted his feet. Oh, come on, the devil said, and his teeth flared. Kid, what's it going to take? How do I get rid of you? Dante thought. There had to be something he could do to get the devil to act more, well, devilish. Three questions, Dante said. Answer three of my questions and I'll leave. Dante wasn't sure what he wanted to ask the devil exactly, but with the three questions, he was sure that he could pry out a few awesomely dark details. The devil's thin, pointed tail swished from side to side. He sighed. He twirled his pitchfork slowly, almost hypnotically. Dante followed the flaming tips round and round. Fine, the devil said. Three questions, then you beat it. Dante couldn't believe it. He'd been granted three questions. Three questions to ask the great destroyer, who admittedly wasn't exactly what Dante had expected, but still. Dante pressed his lips together and rubbed his hands. He wanted to get his questions just right. He wanted them to reveal some dark secrets. Question number one, Dante said. Dante stopped. He had a thought. Could he trust the devil to answer his questions honestly? After all, he was dealing with the father of lies and deception. I'll just have to hope, he told himself. And he went on. What's hell like, Dante said, settling on his first question. Dante imagined hell sometimes. He even tried to draw pictures of it occasionally, with boiling pools of oil everywhere and sizzling walkways. Hell is, the devil said, and Dante leaned close for the answer. He smelled a hint of burning hair coming off of the devil. Unpleasant. The devil stopped. What else, Dante said. The devil shook his head. That was my answer. Next question. No way, Dante said. You've got to tell me more than that. Is the real hell like hell in the netherworld lost? With lots of chains and steam, or is it more like hell and swelling inferno, like different for each person? Are those your second and third questions, the devil said? No, Dante blurted. Don't answer those. The devil gave a fiery smile. He was not making this easy. For a few seconds, Dante said nothing. He hooked his thumbs through his backpack straps and shifted it, feeling the weight of his stuff inside. 
the algebra book he hadn't opened in weeks, the geography binder he also hadn't touched in quite a while, and in the bottom of his backpack, a pile of wrappers from candy bars he'd stolen from a group of fifth graders. The flaming points of the devil's pitchfork seemed to rise, and the devil spun the pitchfork a few times casually. Let's go, the devil said. I haven't got all day. Dante blinked hard and focused on the leathery skin of the devil's hairless chest and how it seemed to glow even in the quiet morning light and on the curve of the razored horns on the top of the devil's head and also on the flaming teeth, especially the flaming teeth. Sure, the devil wasn't everything Dante had hoped for, but still, the flaming teeth were something. As if he'd read Dante's mind, the devil opened his mouth wider and his teeth flamed higher. The tiny fire stretched and a wave of heat washed over Dante. Did the flaming teeth burn the devil's mouth? Dante wondered. Did they cause him eternal agony? Now that would be truly awesome. Eternal burning you can never escape. Awesome. The devil flared his teeth once more, then snapped his mouth shut. Is that what you wanted to see, kid? The devil said. Are you satisfied now? Will you move along? He brought his pitchfork down. He swung it like the pendulum of a clock and gestured with it at the school in the distance. You owe me two more questions, Dante said, not giving up. So here's question number two. He wanted to see the devil's teeth again, wanted to watch them flare and wave. Your teeth, do they... But Dante didn't know how to finish. Do they burn, the devil said, leaning down slightly. Do they hurt? Dante nodded. Nah, the devil said, they don't hurt, kid. Dante was slightly disappointed. The devil scuffed the sidewalk with one hoof. They used to, he said, but they don't anymore. Once they blistered my tongue and boiled my spit... But you get used to things, Dante, even in hell. Next question. Dante touched his own mouth and imagined a fire inside. And that's when he realized something. The devil had called him by his name. Not kid, but Dante. The devil started picking at his talons again. You know my name, Dante said. The devil looked directly at him. For the first time, he looked Dante in the eyes and it sent a chill down his neck. Of course I know your name, the devil said slowly. I know everything about you, Dante Frederick Coleman. Everything. The devil swung his pitchfork back and forth like a hypnotist's watch. The firstborn of sin said my name, Dante thought. And for a second, this made him proud. His heart pounded. Ollie and Jess would never believe it. Never. But then something changed. Dante felt an uneasy itching swell up in his throat. This new feeling scratched and burned just a little and it seemed to come from Dante's stomach. The feeling had something to do with the devil saying his name, his full name, out loud. The devil smiled, baring his flaming teeth. This new feeling wasn't awesome. Dante shook himself. Stay focused, he told himself. Keep it together. He couldn't get distracted. He was with the devil, the actual devil. And he had one question left. One question before he'd have to leave the devil behind. So it needed to be a good one. It needed to be perfect. Perfect. 
Dante blinked hard and he swallowed the new scratchy feeling down. In front of him, the devil twirled his pitchfork. He swished it slowly back and forth. Its flaming tips smoked, and the devil let the smoke trickle up Dante's face. The smoke smelled old, ancient, and it gave Dante an idea. Question number three, Dante said slowly. He felt a little dizzy, maybe from the smoke, but he pointed at the devil's pitchfork. Can I hold that? Just for a second. Now, that would be truly awesome, Dante told himself. Wouldn't it? Touching the pitchfork of the monster of all horrors? The devil straightened, but didn't answer. Yes, Dante thought. This would be totally, completely, endlessly awesome. So, Dante said, will you let me? The devil looked at Dante and let out a small, quiet laugh. You've got nerve, kid, the devil said. Did anyone ever tell you that? You got a lot of nerve. Dante extended a hand. He opened his palm and waited. The uneasy feeling, that scratchy heat, boiled in his throat a second time. That feeling, Dante knew, had something to do with what the devil had said before. I know your name. I know everything about you, Dante Frederick Coleman. Everything. The devil extended the pitchfork. It was just three inches from Dante's open hand, and the scratchy feeling spread from Dante's throat to his whole body. Dante froze. Something was wrong. Maybe it had been wrong this whole time. Something wasn't adding up. Dante was certain of it. It had something to do with the devil knowing his name. But it was more than that. It was the devil waving his pitchfork around, looking eternally bored, flashing his flaming teeth, leaning against the street sign's pole. It was a devil showing up on Gilbert Drive in the first place. What was the deceiver of innocence doing here? Why had he come? And then it hit Dante. This was the devil, the actual devil. Dante had seen movies. He'd listened to songs. The devil always had a plan, always. He didn't do things for no reason. And he never got bored. Dante moved to pull his hand back, to get away from the devil, but it was too late. The devil moved like a thunderclap and slapped the pitchfork into Dante's open palm. Dante gasped, the feeling of hot steel in his hand. Oh, Dante Frederick Coleman, the devil said. Remember that you ask for this. You ask for all of this, kid. Dante's eyes widened. He opened his mouth to speak, but his words couldn't come out. Something was happening in his mouth. There was heat on his gums and his tongue, bad heat. It was like that time he'd eaten a ghost pepper on a dare. He coughed and blew out short puffs of air, his lips forming a tight O. It didn't help. The burning on his tongue and gums grew worse, and the devil started to laugh, high and quiet. Dante fanned a hand in front of his mouth. Still, the heat rose, and it wasn't just heat now. It was pain. Dante jumped up and down. He beat at his mouth with his hands. It felt like he was holding hot coals in his cheeks. What's happening? He tried to ask the devil, but the sounds that came out were nothing like words. He fell to his knees. He rolled from side to side, and the devil's laugh swelled. 
The inside of Dante's lips and cheeks began to char and bleed. His tongue blistered. The pitchfork, he realized. This has something to do with the pitchfork. He needed to get rid of it. He tried to throw it away. He flailed, but the pitchfork stayed in his hand. He tried to fling it, tried to pry it out of his palm, but it was stuck, as if welded permanently to his skin. A hissing, popping sound filled the air. In his mouth, Dante's spit began to boil, and he knew. His teeth had turned to flames, to tiny, pointed flames. He curled up and writhed. He closed his eyes. He tried to stand but couldn't. Above him, the laughing devil spoke. I wouldn't feel too bad about this kid, he said. Dante forced himself to look up. Where the devil had stood before, there was now a small old man in a gray suit. He had deeply creased cheeks and gray hair. And even through the searing pain in his mouth, Dante heard something familiar in the man's high voice and his New England accent. I made the same mistake myself more years ago than I can count. Dante gagged. And I really do remember how this feels, the old man said calmly. Dante tried to scream for help but couldn't. What I said before is true, kid. You get used to it. And someday, if you're lucky, maybe you'll track someone down who will take it away from you. Just like you took it away from me. The gray man winked. Dante reached out a hand, but the old man turned and walked away. And black, tarry tears welled up in Dante's eyes. Dante's skin seemed to be hardening, turning to thick leather. Every second he found it harder to breathe, harder to move, harder to think. A tearing pain spiked on either side of his head and sharp horns pierced through his skin and grew and curled. Half a block up, the gray man turned and smiled, a bright smile full of, not flames, but teeth. Finally, the old devil walked on, leaving Dante to writhe and squirm, to adjust to a life of burning and flame, and to learn to walk on hooves. Dante screamed then, primal and long. The scream echoed with the doom of eternities. We hope y'all enjoyed this kid-friendly episode, and remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.